Hey friends, good afternoon. This is Gerald with AIDS Orphan Education Trust and three vowels N and T. Getting back at it. We're at 48 hours countdown until the trip for me to go to Uganda. Um, I am absolutely excited. Uh, just like a little kid on Christmas Eve. I'm just absolutely thrilled that uh, the leadership and the board has allowed me this opportunity to go. I have one final uh, health check-in with the doctor, but it looks pretty positive. I'll be flying with a stint from my kidney to my bladder. Uh, so just your ongoing prayers and support and love as that comes about and comes to fruition. We just ask that, uh, you know, all things would be uh, brought to peace and that uh, Psalms 29, 11 does come to mind where we, uh, God gives strength to his people and blesses his people with peace. And so I just pray for strength and peace um, for me as I serve the team, because my heart is to serve. Uh, that's why God called us uh, to be in and among uh, those that have yet to encounter him and those that have countered him, uh, but that need a little assistance. And so uh, service is such a key part of that. Um, you know, early on in my career, one of my mentors uh, said after an assessment, he said, Gerald, you have a, a good balance of Paul and Barnabas in you. And so um, as I'm being sent out by my team at headquarters, um, I really do want those gifts to shine. I do want this this heart of listening and learning and creative innovation um, <clears throat> uh, to just be at, uh, at harmony uh, with my brothers and sisters in Ghana and that I wouldn't be slowed down because of a little health issue, a little stint in me, 24 centimeters. You know, it's, it's interesting how, uh, uh, we often say that, uh, there's 12 inches from heaven or 18 inches, depending on the size of the person from the mind to the heart. And it's interesting the the stint in me is about the same length. And I just was like, you know what, God, this is such a great image of, the heart and the mind and the soul working together. So, uh, you know what they say, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I just, uh, my spirit is definitely willing. Um, but the flesh is in fact weak and we long for a day when the flesh is restored again, as the whole earth groans to hang out with the father. But today we're going to talk about, uh, when helping hurts chapter two, I'm not going to get all the way through it because this is a, such a deep and provocative chapter. Um, but I, I actually really love uh, digesting it. I think it's such a great, um, <clears throat> a great platform to to stem out of, to talk through, to understand. Kind of like my heart being a lot of ways. These guys have articulated things that I have processed and thought through years, but other people's and and possibly even why you're part of the the AOT family um, just because of uh, some brilliance there in discovering. Uh, But yeah, the question that he starts off with, and it's so great, I I didn't realize even this survey was done, but World Bank, I guess, put together a survey and talked to people about what the definition of poverty was. And a lot of good like insights in a lot of ways from our developing brothers and sisters around the globe. Uh, but the thing that resonated with me uh, as as I look through each one of these quotes 
and this is kind of the highlight too of the authors of When Helping Hurts, is most of the people in the developing countries um, that were in a poverty state focused on the emotions and feelings that it caused them or that they attend, like it put on their spirit that they were resonating with versus the material lack of resource. And I think that this is something that um, is really world worldwide. I've worked with homeless in Seattle. I've worked with homeless in, in Portland, Oregon. I've worked with um, tsunami, the aftermath of tsunami in 2005 in India. Um, so like my eyes have just been open to this and, and it is kind of this, this feeling of shame, this feeling of relational disconnect, this feeling of being misunderstood. Um, you know, even, (laughs) even in my own life and walk with my uh, wife, you know, we've been almost married 20, 20 years now. And I'm telling you friends, like people, people jest at us, or even as we, we look to, to serve in the mission field, they're like, you know, well, go get a job that'll help provide um, or sustain or work into retirement. And it seems like that's, that's the focus is like, you know, what are you putting away for this retirement? This, your glory days are yet to come type thing when it comes to, to playing golf or fishing or owning the house on the hill type thing. And like, so, so these these feelings of inadequacy are so present and uh, I've just been grateful for some of the training that I've received this last year in regards to transitioning that inadequacy or transitioning that shame or guilt and bringing it before the father and saying hey God this is how I feel this is my normal response what do you say in your word that counters it and how can I move into a place of responding that is deep and connected with the spirit on this. And so I don't have to be reactionary or don't have to connect outside of, of, uh, or inside of my emotions. Um, so it's been very helpful with me, but I think what, when we look at this poverty, um, the authors of when helping hurts, excuse me, focuses pretty deeply on this. And they say they're going to touch on like the fallenness, the brokenness, the sin aspect of it later. But um, really, the, the 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 first half of this chapter focuses on these four foundational relationships that we have with God. We have relationship directly with God. We have relationships with relationship with ourselves. We have relationships with others, and we have relationship with the rest of creation. And just some real snippet of kind of what those um, define our uh, relationship with God. We were created to serve and give praise to our creator through our thoughts, words, and actions. And when we do this, we experience the presence of God as our heavenly father and live in joyful, intimate relationship with him as his children. I just think of Zephaniah 3.17, right? How God rejoices and, and fills our hearts with joy. Uh, when he sings over us, and I think like this is this is exactly what he's talking about. He created each and every one of us with a unique set of gifts, talents, and attributes 
that resonate his identity. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of my mentors asked, hey, Gerald, what are the couple characteristics that God created in you that he absolutely delights over? And it's such a good question. It took me a couple minutes or actually a couple months uh, to say, okay, I can rest with some of these gifts that God gave me, um, knowing that they are unique to me and they're uh, unique um, enough where he actually loves them and he loves to interact with them and he loves to to hang out with me when I'm in these these states of just um, absolute living out the character of, of how he created me. And I think it's in, this, in all of us. There's you know, whatever, seven, seven billion people on the planet right now. And each one of us has a few characteristics that are absolutely unlike everybody else uh, that God loves to dance with. I think of that uh, um, couple of podcasts back in regards to the circle dance. And I just imagine him, you know, opening his arms, God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just opening up that that circle dance saying, Hey, we need this guy, this gal, this person in this dance because they have these unique talents that I created that I'm so delighted with. And so each one of you has that friend, each one of you has that, uh, um, just <clears throat> the, these attributes that bring great delight to God. And then we have relationship with self. Uh, we have the high calling of reflecting the image of God or being made in his likeness. And I just love this idea. Like um, some of my friends call it uh, re-imaging re Christ or reflecting or image bearing. Uh, this is exactly what we were created for. We were created um, <clears throat> to have a reflection. When people look at us, we should be mirroring that which Jesus served and, and uh, shared with us. And, uh, um, you know, the, the whole first John, like there's no greater love than this than to lay down our life uh, for our brothers and sisters to uh, lay down our decisions, lay down our goals, our desires, our visions, our, our talents and uh, uh, look at others better than ourselves. Um, so, yeah, that's just the relationship with self, relationship with others to be in loving relationship with each other. I think no one uh, really explains this better uh, than the, those that use the term communitas, um, this deep community, this deep sense of interdependence on one another that we have fallen short of our abilities. We have fallen short of our true beautiful natures if we don't interact. I know something that's buzzing on the internet today seems to be um, uh, Ellen DeGeneres or whatever. I never pronounce her last name properly. But um, when she's sitting next to George Bush and she <clears throat> feels like she has to come out and give us kind of reason why she's hanging out in the clubhouse with them. But um, it's beautiful what she says is that we are we as people – ought to interact with those that are unlike us, that think differently than us, that believe differently than us, that live differently than us, and actually love and interact with them. And I think like from both sides of that, right? I think that there's people that are like us, that um, truly make us feel empowered and creative and equipped um, to, to draw um from each other's energy to really excite uh, the process going ahead. Um, but I also 
think of those that I have had the joy to interact with. I think one of the the, the greatest quotes that my wife and I every every morning woke up to in India is, here's the outstanding couple. They always stand out. And we had to chuckle because, yeah, we were the only white couple in the village. Um, so, yeah, when we showed up, we were the standout couple. Um, but it was so great. It was so great for us to be in that position of humility um, to learn and glean and to to understand that, hey, there is religion differences. There is um, differences in the way of life, different ways of providing for one another, different foods. Um, yeah, just a whole host of beautiful differences that in all actuality drew us closer to Christ and drew us closer together as a community because we realized, oh, we didn't know the stores closed from two to four. Our neighbors did. So we were able to find out, okay, this is when you go ahead and go shopping. This is when you go um, to go gather here or there. This is the fruit stand you want to go to or whatnot. So, <clears throat> yeah, like it's just such a beautiful thing, this idea of communitas, that we need each other so deeply. Uh, something that unfortunately I feel in America is really missing or even potentially in North America, those that have studied the context, but uh, we are very independent. We are very uh, um, self-oriented and self-absorbed, but you don't have to look very far, at least from our borders, to see life on life and generations um, that overlap. I mean, our neighbors have three generations that live in their house, and uh, there's a sense of beauty about that. There's a sense of of shared community when grandma and grandpa are always around and um so yeah so just so that uh, relationships with others just really connecting and going deep with one another and then we have this relationship number four uh with creation that we are people who ought to understand protect subdue and manage the world that god created in order to preserve it and produce bounty and this is the kind of the kicker statement that they made in the book to me is God created the world perfect and left it incomplete, allowing humans to interact with creation. And I thought that was just a pretty profound statement that God created it perfect yet incomplete. Um, and I think of some of the, the, the ways that we are cultivating reconciliation. I think that, um, you know, I have a brother and sister in Uganda right now that are, are creating uh, ponds and fish and um, sustainability programs. And um, I have friends in um, Mozambique doing the same thing and some friends in um, northern India and Nepal and uh, pretty much across the globe. It's pretty exciting um, that they are reconciling and using materials from the earth to do so, um, whether that's ground cultivation or coffee or um, transportation as far as like bicycling or whatnot um, to uh, to lower fossil fuels and um, uh, to uh, give about a different form of transportation that in some ways is a lot more effective for that context. So, yeah, it's just been really neat when we look at this. Uh, did 
did in fact, I think the question services for me is, did in fact God leave it incomplete um, for us to interact with him and interact with others to help reconcile, be ambassadors of reconciliation? And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a beautiful concept. Uh, today, I wanted to leave kind of with uh, uh, this this um, portion of the book there. Uh, it says, well, what is this stuff good for anyways? Like, what is poverty good for anyways? And why does it exist? And, you know, kind of these questions of why. And I love, excuse me, I love how the author is taking us, or the authors are taking us systematically through. And at the end, they're, they're going to give us some, some actual applications and some ideas on how to really uh, be app- <laughs> ambassadors of reconciliation. But the thing that really stood out to me today is this quote, hence a significant part of working in poor or poverty communities involves discovering and appreciating what God has been there or yeah, what God is doing or what God has been there for a long time. Um, And it's just such a powerful statement to say, I think often um, I have a lot of friends who follow some things on social media that are counter to to um, working with poverty because of this idea that there's some wealthy guru or some wealthy person that's going to somehow save the world through their generosity. But um, I think this is an antagonizing statement because I think uh, our hearts are really good and our hearts are really formed um, too. Um, I know that AOET's mission statement is driven out of the DNA of James 1.27, right? That true religion is looking after the poor and widow and reconciling the orphan. And, you know, just beautiful heart in that and, and gorgeous. Uh, and, and I love to be involved and I love to be a part of it. And I, I you know, like I can wake up every morning and say, God, this is your mercies are new and this is beautiful. And and who can we interact with? Who's going to help fund this? What's the, the heartbeat of the next person that's going to be so on board with what God's doing in Uganda? But I love the captivating nature of this statement that God is already working and has been working and is laying the foundation. And I'm continually struck by the notion of 30 years away and Uganda could have more believers than the four major European nations. And I'm like, okay, so that that story was way before Gerald. That story is the next generation like like if i could wrap one thing around and share with our sponsors is it's their generation of sponsored kids that are going to ignite this and that's that's a story way more deeply woven way more intelligent way more fantastic than anything that i could bring it's it's we're talking like millennial Gen Zers in Uganda having such a movement toward the gospel that they're sending missionaries 
throughout the world. They're planting churches in their country and throughout the world because of what the story of God is already living out today. And I, I, I don't know for you, friends, but I am so captivated by this idea and so awestruck by this idea. I cannot wait to spend just a few moments with my brothers and sisters who have such a sense of alertness to the spirit and urgency to the gospel where they are going to do and be and live Jesus out into places of this world that have yet to be touched, yet to be tasting the the freedom of who Jesus is. And for me, friends, I am I'm in awe and in love of what God's doing that. And that is a storyline, like I said, way before <laughs> grafted together. I love Ephesians 2.8, right? Like he has created good works long before. And <clears throat> this is a story that just resonates with that, that really uh, enclosed and, 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 uh, um, shines the light on that. So, friends, that's my heart today. Again, I leave in a in, in day and a half is is all we're down to, and it's it's an absolute, uh, uh, just an amazing, amazing story for me, and a mirror a miraculous uh, storyline that, uh, yeah, we're just leaning into God's grace and so thankful and so grateful. So, friends. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, Check out our podcast, Three Vowels and a T. I'm happy to run any of this uh, in dialogue with you. I love to to relate and to live out in community. You can hit me up at 503-689-2200 or send me an email at jerel at aoetusa.com. But thanks so much, friends. Enjoy the afternoon. Talk to you soon. Bye.